And we are live with our 204th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. This episode is sponsored by Redpoint Security, uh, code security for coders, right? Or by coders, I should say. Um, we're happy to be back. We've got a whole bunch of news to discuss. We had a really good conversation last week with Shlomi, and that continued on. We're already scheduling him for another episode. Um, but first things first, uh, training. There are still a couple of seats for KernelCon that are available. You're probably never going to find a, a course as inexpensive, right, or in such a great location for practical, secure code review as KernelCon. So I'll drop the link in there really quick. Um, please come if you are going to be there or consider us for one of your training options. Uh, like like we've said in the past couple of episodes, we are going to be updating the course or we're in the process of it right now. Uh, new examples, especially open source examples, uh, you know, different apps that we're going to be using to exercise those code review muscles. Um, outside of that, uh, I was, yeah, I, Ken, anything else, like any place you're going to be upcoming outside of KernelCon? I'll be in Austin next week, but uh, I don't know that I'll be, I'll have a lot of time. Uh, oh, let's okay. see. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let people know is, is, but yeah, I will be in Texas. I, I will say there'll be a few days in, in the, the, the Dallas area that I'm just kind of hanging out. Nice. So, you know, anyways. Um, yeah, uh, no, but nothing like, uh, other than the kernel cons bits and, and stuff like that. So cool. Very good. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll be around. I mean, I just did that trip to Nova of all places and Ken was gone of course, but was able to catch up with quite a few listeners. Maybe we got a few, a few new ones today after the, the talk. Um, uh, I was speaking more on it was called modern versus old school, but how we see old school issues and vulnerabilities that we saw or that I saw 20 plus years ago still show up in code today and why that is. Um, it's a talk I think I'm going to reprise and I'm going to start uh, pushing at other conferences as well. More of kind of a beginner, like what can you do? What can you look for as you're moving into, into security at an organization, what you should be watching out for? Um yeah, on top, uh, but besides that, right? Like, I, I guess that just leads into the first uh, article that I wanted to discuss today because it's my favorite topic. It's Crocs and Socks, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, let me drop it in here. Um, yeah, so this one, I, like the link that we've got is from Info Security Magazine, attack method affect Okta passwords. And... Yeah, Ken, you were the one that, that posted this to me because you knew it was right up my alley. But we, we have this discussion during Practical Secure Code Review when we get to the auditing session, section, right? When we're talking about logging and about how one of my favorite things that I've seen over the years is this logging of failed passwords, right? That the fact that you'll see as somebody try to log in, like user Seth logged in with, or a failed to log in password, password one, failed to log in password two, failed to log in password three, Seth successfully logged in, right? And this is exactly the attack or the, the issue that's being called out here. Um, but for one of the most common providers that are that is out there for 2FA and single sign-on, Okta, that in their logs, it looks like, um, yeah, where is it? The at? username field, yeah. If they put the, they're, basically they put the password in the username field. Oh, is that what it is? Yep. Could yep. read uses passwords if they have been input input incorrectly into the username field during login. Yeah, I I don't know how I like necessarily feel about this one as much, right? Um, because it's I, I guess any time that we're taking input, um, especially if we haven't looked up, we don't know if it's a valid username. Uh, it's going to be a a problem, right? But. Cause I like, it's a, it's a hard one because Okta allows usernames and emails. I mean, it'd be one thing if you could, if you could yeah. uh, sanitize by saying, yeah, if this is an email address, then don't, um, or wait, if this is an email address, sorry, do log it. And if it doesn't match that format, 
don't or mask bits of it. But yeah. uh, when it's a username, I suppose it comes down to what characters are disallowed in a username, uh, mm -hmm. if any. Um, and yeah, because if if there's if special characters are disallowed and ideally the passwords are requiring a special character, I guess that would be like a signal. But that's but yeah, just it. Like it comes down to what that difficult. what that special character is, right? Because a period, mm. um, a plus sign, right? Like both of those are valid email or valid username underscores. Um, and they are considered special characters. So I, I don't know. I, like I, I kind of have a hard time too with this idea that I'm logging a username when I haven't necessarily validated whether that user actually exists, right? I think that's probably what I would, what I'd be talking about from a recommendation perspective um, is, yeah. Well, there's, there, when we get to the, when we get to the Troy Hunt story, let's talk about what Cloudflare does to uh, protect as an enterprise feature logs. And I think there's maybe a case here for keeping it the way it is, but then um, making it harder to access those logs kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I saw Lintner just, just jumped on too on YouTube. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like a reach to me. I think my initial like take on this was it was, oh, it was the password, password one, password two, password three, where it's the username field. I'm like, ah, I'm kind of with him here, right? Like it is a little bit of a stretch, but I do see that, you know, the, the possibility is happening because I mean, we've all pasted passwords into Slack before, right? or yeah. into you know other places where it was unintended and so the 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 risk does exist how likely it actually is whether it's going to be exposed you know, you know that that's a whole the impact of it you know that's a whole other discussion on whether it's something you really need to prevent against but that being well, said actually, this is okta right this is okta this is not like my little like mobile app that i'm running you know that i have a couple hundred user on users on like it'd be interesting to see what the, that percentage actually is what were you gonna say I, I am curious as well like what is the actual yeah and, and it's not wrong it's it's a so it's, it's a little bit of a reach though you know what i don't think we need to wait till the troy hunt story but i can tell you when we talk about it he mentions that um cloudflare if you want to see the actual payloads of a request, because obviously that's super sensitive stuff, right? Uh, then you use a, I believe a public key kind of signature to validate uh, your, so you upload a public key and then that's what you use as a validation to retrieve those full logs, uh, feature only available to enterprise um, customers. So it yeah. is uh, protected and sensitive. Cloud and Cloudflare's, you know, defense. They, they, they. Their protection is that you must be an admin role to access the logs. Obviously, yeah. I mean, it's AppSec. We we don't look at that as a huge hurdle, but it is a hurdle and uh, security boundary. But they could go that direction. That's that's all I'm yeah. gonna say. If it was really a concern of the customers, and that's really what it comes down to, is it a concern of your customers? In this case, I I think anyways. I think that's the deciding factor. Yep. Yeah. I, and, and to Dave's point, lock down the logs, turn on MFA and move on. Right. Like, right. You're right. Right. Like if you're using Okta and you don't have MFA enabled, right. Like kind of, it's almost like shame on you. Right. Um, but who's going to get access to those logs where they're actually at. I mean, that's, that should be a consideration it, as it is um, for an enterprise application or an enterprise in general. Um, and then, and then we can move on. I, I mean, the thing that makes me happy about this is that we're actually having this discussion, right? That there was a, you know, somebody's actually posting about it. Um, you know, I, I was recently like looking at an application that was reporting basically um, the UI itself was, re was responsible for um, recording session activity via an API endpoint, right? which in and of itself doesn't sound that bad, especially from an analytics perspective. But the second that it starts to record, hey, I tried to log in, here's the session, or this is these were the transactions that this user was actually performing, and it's exposed via, via an API endpoint, it means that the logs can be messed with, right? Like it's, it's not necessarily that uh, the UI itself isn't going to report that all up. It's the fact that 
in these single page applications like React, like you know, take your pick, Angular, whatever it is, or a mobile application, if the only logging mechanism that you have is via API or is via an API call, it means that as an attacker can, number one, hide what they're trying to do, right? Or uh, by just flooding the log with all sorts of activity for a specific session while they attempt to do something bad, or number two, they can just pause all their activity going to that API endpoint. And, you know, at that point, they're hiding by just like not logging their activity, right? Um, and so like it, a lot of times we just don't take that into consideration. So my 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 point here was I'm glad to see that we're actually having a discussion about it. That people are posting about the risks that do actually exist when it comes down to it. Um, but there, we have ways to solve it to Dave's point, right? Like we lock it down, we turn on F MFA and we're on to something else. We know how to solve it, but it seems like we, we, we continually make mistakes when it comes to logging infrastructure because it's almost an afterthought. So, so would you summarize this as a something burger or a nothing burger? Mm. Depends on the organization. Nah, right? Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm taking polarizing. the easy way out. Yeah. Not too polarizing. <laughs> but that's yeah. Fair. I, that's fair. I but mean, wait, sorry. It, yeah, it is. I, it, yeah, I, it, it's hard to actually say. Right. But um, yeah, sometimes, you know, we have a 10. Yeah, it depends. Exactly. Um, we'll make it a something burger for today. Maybe we'll start a burger or like a Crocs and socks, uh, you know, stamp that we put on things, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's contextual. We'll say. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of apps though, at this point, right? Like impact really comes down to the organization itself and what they're, what they're concerned about, what's in the application. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Okay. So, so next up, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk Troy? Well, I've already uh, talked. Okay. What's that? Oh, go for it. You've already talked. No, no, no. I was going to say, I've already talked about the, uh, hinted at the Troy hunt. So let's just talk about that one. And then we can, uh, Oh, what does Crocs and Socks mean? Uh, yeah, actually a good point. We throw that around. There are new viewers. So, uh, TLDR, uh, I mess with Seth for being an old dad and, uh, <laughs> old dads wear socks and crocs and uh whenever he talks about auditing and logging i talk about it being one of the most boring topics as part of appsec and it's a total and i get all and excited yeah he gets excited <laughs> so that's the history there uh that's the history. for those who don't yes. know so crocs and pretty and much socks every training basics yep okay <laughs> it comes up um all right so let me sorry i'm trying to scroll back to find this article because uh, Seth and I had a lot of chatter this morning prepping, prepping for the show. So I'm having to do a little bit more searching than than usual. But I think Talos posted it. So it's already it's already in our Slack. Um, so I'll, I'll find the, the link here, but I'll, I'll just start talking about what it is. So the general gist is that Troy Hunt discovered that, you know, customer, some customers, a small percentage of customers were complaining that you know, they basically couldn't access the uh, have I been pwned API. Um, they were being throttled and, and rate limited. So Troy uh, did a little digging. He uses Stripe and he uses Cloudflare. When he looked at Stripe and in Stripe, you can see, you know, it's it's like a webhook delivery system. So if, uh, you know, there's a charge that happens, there's going to be some webhook uh, event that sends an update about whether that failed or whether uh, succeeded and some metadata information, things like that. So in that log, it showed 403 responses when it was trying to charge a card. Um, and uh, the and, and that's a significant because you're throttled by what your purchase plan is, right? So um, the 403 page showed a Cloudflare uh, like error page that said something or forbidden page that said something about um, exceeded an, um, some, I don't know, something about like exceeded anomaly or, or, uh, or, or sorry, exceeded anomaly detection or, or something along those lines. So did a little bit, of, he did a little bit more digging, looked at Cloudflare. Um, when he looked at Cloudflare's logs, he saw that, uh, as I had mentioned, you can't, for obvious reasons, the logs with all of the requests uh, for your the things you own don't just show up. You have to have um, 
an enterprise plan if you want to see the actual requests themselves and inspect them. Um, and so that's kind of what he did. Didn't find anything super normal, but again, um, had noticed this like exceeded anomaly error message um, inside of, actually, sorry, before that, he, he saw the exceeded error uh, anomaly inside of Cloudflare as well. Uh, and then he also then uh, went and looked at the payloads, inspected them, didn't see anything, did notice a news update from Cloudflare saying, well, we keep in tune with the OWASP's uh, mod WAF uh, core rule set uh, based off of its versioning. So if it version if it version bumps, we then update our rules to match it. Um, this is an interesting point, which I know Seth and I will get into here in a second. That's probably the most significant, interesting point of this whole thing, I think. Um, in any case, uh, two and two to go together. When did the errors start happening? When did that update happen? They were at the same time. So again, obviously some kind of change to reflect OWASP's core mod rule set caused this issue. So again, inspecting the payloads and he shows some snippets, there's no obvious, there's nothing obvious that is like a SQL injection or remote code execution attempt or anything like that. It's just not obviously there. So um, still, as far as I know, and I read the comments in the article as well, there's no update saying like, I mean, obviously the team's on it, but there's no update as to the root cause and like why that anomaly detection is occurring. Um, but, you know, something in the update obviously caused it. So I'm sure more will come out there. But Seth, the reason I wanted to talk about this one is given that we had this realization and call to action for OWASP to fully support the projects that are clearly impacting the way the internet works um and two you know i think it was mark curfee if i'm not if i'm not or if i am correct it'd be mark curfee who uh was like no, okay i'm giving up my seat uh i'm walking away i think we need a new thing um and all this to say it's all kind of culminating in like this this interesting scenario where here you have this very well supported project and and again it i i'm probably conflating things actually you know it's it may just be like um um yeah this happens i mean honestly waf rule sets are very hard to not have something like this happen um so it's not to say that the project isn't like well supported or anything but it is interesting that there's all these complaints about projects not being well supported and then a, a project that's again like heavily relied upon by cloudflare is like caused some 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 major issues when it updated so anyways yeah. I think why I'm saying that is it just shows the fragility of everything once again that we rely on for the internet to work. Yeah. So anyways, with that well, having been said, what are your thoughts on this whole thing, Seth? Yeah, I, I, I like I, I'm with Troy on like the digging that goes on, like running down. I Like we always talk about rabbit holes, right? Like um, from a source code perspective, but this feels very similar to that, right? Like you find an issue and then trying to, trying to determine how something is actually implemented and how it actually works. Um, like we have a lot of uh, leeway when we're doing an assessment on, you know, calling something in scope or out of scope, you know, just based on the time that we've got. Um, but where he's trying to solve an actual customer problem, this is very development driven and, um, it, I, I mean, it's obvious, obviously an issue, but we, you know, it's it's an edge case when you have multiple different technologies, multiple different providers in play, hard to actually test, hard to actually ascertain what's going on. Um, and then when we get to something like the OWASP issue, this is so incredibly common in the open source space um, that we are reliant on a library or a function whether that's out of date or even supported anymore is very, feels very true to life, right? Um, it, like when we have, we are dependent on projects that were built. I, I mean, the mod security core rule set probably started, what, 10 years ago at least, right? If I'm at looking least, at their, yeah. their GitHub, right? Um, you know, and it's it's better than most that I look at, right? Like there's been activity within the last month, within the last year. Um, there's a whole, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of commits. Um, so it is like there's actually active development going on. 
But if you start digging into some of the package managers that are out there for Node, Python, you know, Python libraries, you're going to find stuff that hasn't been updated in five, 10 years, and is still considered core infrastructure for the internet at large. And so it's, it's a larger discussion that we start to run into about the security of those libraries, of those projects, and the internet, like who's responsible for actually updating that, right? In, in this scenario, Troy is the one that's decided that he is using Cloudflare, right? Okay, so then it's on Cloudflare to solve that or Troy to solve that, um, but it's the interaction between Stripe and his site via Cloudflare that's causing the problem to pop up. And, and like, how often do we go in and put in these exceptions like he just did, right? Hey, I, I know it's not working. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to whitelist all these IPs. It'll be fine, right? Like, it'll be okay. And, and in his I'm case, it's probably going to be just fine. Yeah. I forgot about that detail. <laughs> but it, it's like, it's how we solve problems initially is usually putting in some sort of a an accept list or a, you know, hey, this is this is allowed for now um, until we can figure out what's actually going on. Um, and I, I don't know if you're ever really going to be able to solve it, right? Like when it comes to some of those core libraries, you're kind of stuck, right? Like, you know, if you're using some of the JavaScript, you know, engines or whatever it is, or you're dependent on a very specific project, you use some of those libraries. So in his case, he's using Cloudflare. It's using the OWASP core rule set. And it was nothing that he did from update perspective that actually started causing the problem. It was Cloudflare slash OWASP. And then the Stripe interaction, for some reason, is just triggering those rules. And you're done, right? You're done at that point. And well, I don't know. I, I, an article I, I, that yeah. this just happened, something the same. Well, not the same, but uh, a similar sort of like the fragility of our software systems um, uh -huh. that Sam Altman, uh, who, by the way, was on Lex Friedman. I, I want to check out that podcast um, with Lex Friedman. But anyways, uh, this is a side note. Anyway, so Sam Altman from ChatGPT went on there and had basically apologized on Twitter for the, uh, I guess they, they some open source library they're using as part of ChatGPT allowed um, people to see the titles of other people's user conversations inside of, uh, for ChatGPT. So I, um, and, but Juan's point here was, and, you know, I, I want to say, I agree with this. Like, it's hard to blame Anytime you, as somebody who is currently in the midst of building a product, any there there should be, and there is for me anyways, a lot of consideration on what gets included inside of um, the application I'm building. Because, however, I say that, but we all know how complex. I mean, we do, I, uh, I don't know, actually, as I think about it, it's like, well, sometimes those, that's part of the consideration, but sometimes those libraries do include a bunch of other stuff you really didn't expect. I mean, it's definitely part of the, uh, conversation, the consideration, it's the purpose around an S-bomb, things like that. Um, in any case, it should be a, a massive uh, or at least a, a decent conversation that you have when you when you decide to have core components rely on open source libraries you didn't build. So, yeah. But it, um, it, it, can't blame that them. Point, my point. Yeah. But to that point, right, how often have you actually had that conversation about what your app is actually built on? And I mean, I do, but I don't know how like other people. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know you do, right? But if I go into most of uh, probably most of my clients, they don't start having that conversation until you know until we start looking into their, you know, uh, their s bombs, right? Or doing packet dependency analysis, and we're like, hey, you guys are using this old library, and they're like, oh, that's right, right? You know, we had a developer six years ago that was really that really liked you know, whatever framework or, you know, whatever library was out there included it. And now it's a core piece of the functionality and we can't just rip it out and upgrade paths are, you know, screwed up. Right. So I would say large organizations do uh, discipline developers definitely do. Um, but like the but, time they bring you at the point they bring you in though, they're already mature enough. Like in the early days, it's probably yeah more yellow. Uh, yeah. Uh, than that. So, yeah, it is. Mean, it is meaning, a lot of yellow. Meaning, if I'm if I have the money and the time and the desire to bring you in, it's after I already have something that's like off the ground and running and good to go, right? It's not mm -hmm. something that like this is my day. I mean, very unlikely that it's my day ninety and I'm pulling you in. 
with the sheer number yep. sorry this this let's see with the sheer number of people using here with the sheer number of people using jet gpt they should be increasing their app six bed not say they oh oh that's a hot take i'd like to hear more about that we can have david david on so i can hear a little bit more Sure, number of people using ChatGPT, they should be increasing their app sex spend. Hmm. I, I was going to say they should just ask ChatGPT to, you know, do some app sex <laughs> for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I No, I agree. Right. Like, I, I don't think they anticipated the, this level of scrutiny. Right. Like, obviously, like wireless streams, I'm sure they did that they wanted everybody to start using it. Um, and it is training the model more and more. Um, but I haven't, I, I haven't necessarily even looked at, you know, OpenAI. I'm sure has a um, bug bounty program, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I didn't have much else on that that article. I just thought it, you know, once again, it kind of highlights this whole situation of um, just relying on and. You know, I just want to remind people, like, if you ever want to sponsor a project, I know it's not like the fix fix, but if you ever want to sponsor a project and it's sitting on, I don't know, I haven't checked on GitLab and Bitbucket, but GitHub does have a have a sponsor thing that you can give some money to a project if you would like. Yeah, you can have. So I don't know. Um, not saying that's going to fix everything, but uh, if you ever want to support the ecosystems that support the Internet, um, that's one way to do it. So, yeah. Cool. So next article, actually, it's not an article. If you don't mind, I want to real briefly talk about the Twitter thread I saw. Uh, is that okay? Sure. Okay, cool. So, and the reason I want to is not because of the drama aspect or whatever on there. It's actually because of the um, fact that we talk about this stuff. So, all right. So the TLDR here is that I don't want to try and pronounce, let's see, how do I, Osers, Osers, I don't know, whatever the handle is. Person A said, hey, the old auth bypass by editing HTTP responses from 302 to 200 never stops paying 10 unique endpoints vulnerable to SQLi. So just to be clear, what we're saying is somebody modified the HTTP response code from 302 something a you know redirection to a 200 the page gets rendered on the browser because of this this person discovered 10 endpoints they could interact with and then when they did those were vulnerable to sql injection so basically unauthentic unauthenticated endpoints that were intended to be authenticated now there's more there but whatever so then live overflow uh or live overflow i'm not sure which one person b will say said there is no such thing as an auth bypass by editing http response the only thing you might do is tricking the client ui to think you are authenticated this could lead to easy identification of completely missing auth on endpoints but you didn't bypass auth okay so this is actually really not something i care to dig into but there's a little bit more on that thread of them going back and forth whatever that's not i don't care about any of it here's what i do care about what they're trying to point out there is just the semantics right like it's not the, the auth bypass is not the modification of the response, though that is a good way to uh, start interacting with the site through your browser. It is not the underlying root cause. It's just a way to get it to render in a way the browser won't just immediately redirect to off to wherever, and you can just have it rendered as a 200 and start putting things into form fields, whatever you want. You could do the same thing without, obviously, any browser. So... But what I think that's important to, to highlight is that this should be a part of people's test for sure if it if it isn't, where you know you you analyze response lengths. I mean, this is kind of back to AppSec 101 kind of stuff, to be honest. But yeah. um, you know, we talk about it in our training course where there's these weird, like when you do source code reviews, we have these this section on looking at your authorization decorators and analyzing what they do. And if anything, after a while, you create in your mind these weird sets of patterns that you're used to seeing. So like in .NET, for us, you know, both Seth and I have seen redirect called a lot, but it's usually dot .redirect and then just an HTTP path as a string representation. So redirect, parentheses, string, forward slash path, we'll say, end parentheses. Very, very simple. Um, in the case that we talk about in the course, you know, I was doing a code review um, and saw... Uh, an additional parameter added in called false. I had never seen that before when I looked it up. 
it was actually a uh, way to say, well, we're not going to stop executing, right? Because normally redirect in, in the context of an authorization decorator just means, you know, halt the chain of execution. So no more code should execute as part of the flow, meaning the flow is like from where the route gets defined to the last, the, the sync, the last place it executes, typically a view where that gets rendered back to a user. And instead, don't do any of the rest of this stuff after this logic processing function or this authorization decorator, rather, I should say. Authorization decorator. Yeah. Uh, stop doing stuff, redirect them, send a response with a redirect, don't do anything more. But when you put in false, it still does the 302. It still tries to redirect a user, but it is no longer a halt of code, halt the, 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 the code from executing. It is a... It's not a hard barrier. It's not a hard line. It's a, like I said, just a redirect to the browser, but it still allows everything else to execute to include building up a view template and uh, responding with that. So yep. that's why I wanted to talk about this Twitter thread, which just that this is a common thing. And, you know, Seth, you found it from a dynamic standpoint because that was the test that you were running. They wanted a dynamic yep. test. And I mean, it's probably in your methodology where you're just like sending, I don't, I mean, I, you could talk about how you do it, but I, I pretty much can guess. I would, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it. Well, it's you know, it's looking at the redirects and actually investigating what's going on behind the scenes, what's actually being rendered, how the redirects act. Because um, we've we've seen it before that anytime, anytime the redirect response comes back and it looks different than the rest of the application whether that's like it actually has a body or there's some headers that we didn't expect um, that you're starting to get into those edge cases where the redirect fail can actually occur um, outside of what, you know, of this, this thread where, uh, where they're looking for, Hey, is there authentication missing on any endpoints, which is realistically what they're digging into there. Um, but it's also right, like you know, the, those those edge cases are always a fun thing to actually take a look at. And uh, to your point, Ken, right? Like when we talk about redirects, redirect is a very significant um, security control when it comes to web applications in general, um, because it is the the mechanism by which we send clients some other place, um, and we've you know. I mean, how many times have we been able to abuse redirects to send people to a malicious site rather than the login page or like send them to our site and then where we can steal the credentials and send them back, right? Like, like there's different ways that those redirects can actually be used to target an application. Um, so it, it should be in your methodology at some point to take a look at those anytime that behavior exists. Yeah. And the same oh, thing man. with like OAuth, OAuth flows and single sign-on. Um, the way that, that that dance happens is it, it's very easy to make a mistake. And hey, I can introduce a, you know, I can give you a sign-in link for my application or your application, but I change the redirect to something else. It looks similar. It ends up posting the creds back to me or it redirects the user back to me, right? Like all of this stuff is, you know, very security sensitive. Yeah, auth flows are not, they don't really have state in a sense. So it's, it's you know, I mean, with single sign-on, I think the most you usually see is like uh, maybe nonce checking, right? As a client, um, but it's not true state in, in that sense. It's It's a bunch of different, things you're supposed to call in a certain order with codes being exchanged for authenticity's sake. Um, so you're right. It's, it's, it's a weird endpoints are weird. You gotta, you gotta know which, what, what are, what are accessible. And yeah, it's, it's always a tough one. Yeah. So and well, redirection and it, and plays a part in exploiting it. Yeah. And, and that's just it, right? Like knowing what the surface of your application is, is, honestly half the battle. There's a reason that we spend so much time doing information gathering that we look use the application as a user does start to identify where that where that outer edge of an application lives and those interaction points between okay authenticated unauthenticated one service and another service right like all of those are exposure points where security is typically weaker um, and it, it this is no 
it's no fault necessarily of the developers because most of the time the core functionality of the business logic works as expected, but you know, they've never, they've never thought through what that looks like. They've been given, okay, here's a key. You interact with this service. This is how you, you know, you do X, Y, and Z. Here's the library that we use that actually interacts or does our OAuth flow for us and don't realize that there's, there's security implications in the way that's actually set up. Hmm. And man, we're, we're going all over the place, Ken, right? That's, must be that's good. That's what we're here for, man. We're supposed to go all over the place. That's what we do. That's what we yeah. do. Well, um, I do have another very interesting one uh, for, for us to talk through. It's uh, not too technical, I, but it's technical enough. Do you, do you want to address that in Slack one and uh, Talos are talking about the, the Twitter open oh. source, right? Oh gosh. Yeah. There's the that. Code leak. Um, man, that was all over the headlines. Um, you want to give a TLDR? I mean, I know about it too, but it's, you know, you brought it up. So by all means, good, sir. If you want to give it a, a TLDR there, a little summary. Um, the Twitter source code was leaked on GitHub. Right. Um, and let me see if I can find a link for it. Right. And of course the first one I click on, click on is not, <laughs> uh, they're trying to find the culprit. And of course there's like sad images of Elon everywhere. Right. Because that's the, you know, it's, it's his source code. Right. Um, but what do you think the ramifications of, Oh, well actually let's, let's, I mean, let me stop. Let me stop. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes. Uh, proprietary source code for uh, Twitter's platform internal tools. I haven't even tried to look at look for the source code. I'm sure it's up on the deep web now. If you want to take a look at it, um, or there's there's other places. I mean, this happens to all large platforms at some point, and this goes back to kind of the threat model that you create for your application. It's it's a matter of when it gets breached, not if. Yeah. Um, at some point, source code is going to be disclosed. We've seen this for, I mean, Twitter is just the latest. Um, I mean, Microsoft, like, hey, you know, take your pick. And whether it's coming from a disgruntled employee, an ex-employee, right? It sounds like Juan's got a little bit more information there. Alleged employee. With, uh, yeah, without knowing it. Auth control is non-existent. Somebody else, I, uh, Talos was saying that, Another podcast was saying that all devs had access to all production machines and Twitter, right? Like there's not a, there's not a huge separation of duties basically is what I'm, I'm getting out of this. Um, but the implications are pretty wide from a trust perspective because I, I mean, what, what would you and I do if we had access to source code? What's the first thing that we're, you're going to start doing? Look for vulnerabilities. Yes. Why, what else am I getting? Well, actually, sorry, I'm going to open up a file. I'm going to yeah. start taking notes and then I'm going to put gonna a commit hash at the top of that. I'm going to put a commit hash at the top and then I'm going to start doing my, my assessment. That's what I'm going to do in that order. Yes. In that order. Yes, there we go. <laughs> that, that was a sneak preview for practical secure code review. Kernel con a couple weeks. <laughs> no, but <laughs> excuse me, geez. <clears throat> but what I didn't understand was the, the rumors around Elon being like, well, I want to, what was the legal term they said something about a deposition or i don't know something like that which is like not a deposition um that can't be right that would be yes uh no let's see disgruntled also for uh, somebody leaked their source code you know i was requesting a subpoena right somebody mentioned a subpoena for github mm -hmm. um that they want to know who but, it was, right yeah but as a paying customer you're gonna know who that is so i'm like what are they talking about? A subpoena? Like, I mean, meaning not well, not the person in Slack that said it, but it, the rumor going around that he would want a subpoena. Like, you you get to know that information as a paying customer. So I'm not sure. And even still, you would imagine that Twitter. I mean, I actually don't know this, right? Uh, well, I guess mm -hmm. I don't know, it's supposed it's supposed to post it on GitHub, and it's obviously not a GitHub on-prem situation. I would imagine. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, like. I don't think you'd need a subpoena is my point for um, for that at all. I think they just you, you're a paying customer. You have you have access to know who did that. Now, now that's under your organization. If somebody if somebody created an account and then posted under their own account, I don't know how exactly the rules work there, but I still doubt that a subpoena would be needed. But I just don't I don't know. 
um, because that is obviously an area that is that is actually, believe it or not, not an area that I ever got into was the legality behind um, giving over that kind of information. We have a whole support system for that. So not something yeah. I was ever privy to. And so anything I comment on, it's just me guessing. It's, it's you guessing. Well, it's interesting, mm -hmm. right? Because if you go to GitHub to that actual account, right, that did the link, the leaking, like the it's funny there's a it says repositories one but there's no repositories to actually search right or it doesn't mm -hmm. actually show up um so it's definitely you know it's been taken down um not following anyone I, the thing is like this is a social media platform anyone can sign up for an account as long as you have an email right like it's just one of those things that i'm like i you wonder how much detail is actually going to be available there you want you wonder what yeah. you can actually be able to determine um it's yeah it, and this is where it comes down to blast radius if i'm twitter is the payoff there to actually go after who it is i mean from a legality perspective you've got to protect protect your ip and you know what you've actually created you're going to take it down but the you know it's out there at this point, right? Like there's no putting mm -hmm. that genie back in the bottle. There's no, um, yeah, you've got to, you've got to, got to contain the blast is, is where you're actually at at this point. Um, if you haven't been looking for, if you haven't been doing code reviews from a security perspective, you better start doing it now. Anything that hasn't been solved that's been on the backlog as a security issue, hey, probably just took a higher priority um that because I, I mean realistically that's going to be the case right like i i'm trying to think through the steps that i would actually take if it was my source code that was was compromised in this manner or an organization that i work with um, and that's what i'm going to start going to is all right there are significant pieces of security that are controlled by this by this source um do we need to start changing things up do we need to look at the authentication and authorization mechanisms and maybe recreate that move to a new platform if we're right like just because we don't know what we don't know about that source um, it's going to cause quite a few changes from a security control perspective in the code that i have yeah, yeah. you're, you're yeah. right you're absolutely right yeah. oh man well it's uh gonna be a fun fun time well you know and then who knows like what time twitter can devote to uh who knows uh, the whole thing seems very very uh messy for sure um though at the end of the day if it was i mean well whatever uh, it seems messy that's that's what i'll i'll leave it at i think yeah so well you know what what hasn't been messy about that whole uh acquisition and you know the way everyone's involved so yep yeah i mean i suppose we don't need to, to talk about it too much but since you already mentioned github and I got to be honest with you, I already know GitHub's going through a little bit of a rough time. Um, so, uh, you yeah, know, there's stuff going on over there. Uh, but uh, anyways, this is um, the other one. Uh, again, um, not a big deal, but uh, might as well mention it just because it did happen. And it is GitHub specific and uh, all that. But it looks like at some point uh, the SSH key, um, the SSH host key was uh, exposed um and not great so it was re redacted very temporarily but just out of an abundance of caution they uh redact or yeah they removed that key um and uh so now when you go to ssh or do git ops or anything i would imagine anyways with uh github you uh you'll see a, an error there uh about yep. the host mismatch and then everybody just has to kind of accept that so it's not it's not super fun but it's also not the most notable thing in the world it's just um kind of a thing that happens stuff happens and i know and i can tell you from having worked there uh it doesn't matter if it was a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second that it was exposed it doesn't matter even if it was only on an internal system they will just immediately take the harshest line in a good way the hardest line to protect those types of things and and make hard decisions where you have to like publicly admit it. And then people have to like do stuff for a second and you have to write a post and, and do all the incident response stuff, but they'll <laughs> do all that. So, um, yeah, I would actually say in this, you know, 
I, of course I'm biased. I worked there for long enough to be biased. And, uh, but, um, I will say like, they're, uh, they're, they're staying true to who, who they've been the whole time I've, I've known GitHub in terms of uh, how they treat security stuff. So, uh, yeah, I would almost say, you know, if it's going to happen, this is a positive outcome. So a big, so a nothing burger. That's what you're saying here. This is just Crocs. It's a nothing burger. It's just all over the news. And like, there's not a huge news cycle right now. So the stuff like Twitter and the stuff like that, it, it's all kind of getting a lot of uh, press right now. It's fine. But, you know, so it, understand that it's probably just because not probably. I mean, it hasn't been the, the I don't think it's been the craziest news cycle, honestly, of interesting things from from my reading this morning trying to dig stuff up so now but 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 we've got 15 minutes left almost 16 or 14 so i want to like get to this one because i think okay. it's actually interesting um let me put this in general oh, yes. so it's a technical post um technical in the sense that uh they dig into a uh vulnerability that i have seen which is why i wanted to bring it up um but uh it's cool that someone's talking about it so the tldr on this one is that when you have, especially in today's world, distributed systems, you often have multiple proxies or front-end systems sitting be, uh, in front of back-end systems. Now, there are headers that get sent or don't get sent, but get, get added upon each hop, removed and added upon each hop to a proxy or a front-end system. And I say or a front end system because this is where I saw it and I won't go into which stuff, which product I saw it on, but I'll, I'll talk about it in a second. So, all right, for proxy specifically, there's like a set of headers and the article shares those headers that when they're received by a proxy, the proxy's job is to remove those headers, to process, parse and remove those headers. And then if they need to add any other headers for the next hop, they'll do that and then forward that request on, right? Pretty simple. Yep. But there, in one example, say the connection header, what he noticed, and I don't remember if this was Nginx or Varnish or what it was, but um, one of those systems had, uh, or both had, um, they, they treated the connection header as if I appended a second header to the connection line, then it could be forwarded on to the backend systems. Now you could put an entirely different separate key value pair header inside the connection key value pair, and then that would get make its way all the way to the backend system. Now, why does this matter at all? And that's just one example. They talk about using it for fingerprinting, for DNS cache poisoning, for a few things, right? Why is this, and for bypassing access control, which brings me to my like experience with this. So what I was seeing is a microservice in our pro in a part of one of our products, a, a suite of microservices with a front end that does all the authorization and the back end does the actual processing, um, but it makes no real authorization decisions uh, other than to say, are you authorized? And if so, like, cool, anything you sent me must be good. Now, why is that a problem? Well, the front end parsed, and maybe I've talked about this before, I don't, I'm not sure, but the front end parsed the request, stripped out what it thought were the parts of that request that were the bits that mattered for authorization. Like, can you do this thing on this object? Mm -hmm. And then it forwarded, it, it parsed, it repackaged the request in a different way, added some headers, did some stuff, forwarded on onto the back end services. But the problem was that someone had figured out that those weren't the only parts of the request that you could use to make a determination on the thing you update. So just as an example, we'll say that the path value was what was matched up against the token value. And they said, well, you're allowed to hit that path or that the parameter in the path, I should say, or like a RESTful parameter. Like you're okay to access that object. That's cool. What they failed to realize is that if you also added a sec another header with a what would be the same thing as that parameter in the RESTful uh, path, then that would actually be by the backend system uh, acknowledged as the actual value that they need to match up to the user and say, uh, you know, now they don't do any authorization decisions. They just say this user wanted to update this thing. They're okay. Front end said they're okay. But again, mm -hmm. there was a mismatch of what parts of the request. And I see this as a thing that keeps happening as we get more distributed with our systems where 
there is this like set of decisions that are supposed to be like offloaded to a front end and then the back end is not supposed to have to think about those things kind of makes sense the only issue is like i said and like this article points out is there's key parts of requests that are very important so if you are using different libraries to parse and then repackage and you know fiddling with headers and all of these things you're going to inevitably have a logic flaw uh issue so that's a long long rant winded whatever you want to say way of uh kind of breaking that all down but i think it's very very fun article to read uh, i will say the article i had to reread i don't know if it was just morning brain or whatever but man i had to reread certain parts of it like seven times but before i was like oh i i understand what you mean so um, I'm not sure if that's on me, but overall, the content itself, the the technical merit seemed pretty cool. So, yeah, have you experienced this, Seth? Have you seen things like these? What is your take here? From an API perspective, this feels so super common to me, whether it's like method interchange, like HTTP method interchange, um, like a get or a post that allows that control, um, headers, right? Like, Defined headers are always an issue when it comes to what is it that you're actually updating with that API? Um, what's controlled as it goes through the proxy? How that authentication and authorization happens? Um, I think the biggest place that I see it re most recently is GraphQL, right? Like just the way that GraphQL does its authorization is very similar because it'll, you know, it'll do authorization based on one query lookup that's actually in a uh, in a GraphQL request and then assume that everything else follows that same pattern when it, when it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily the case or they shouldn't have access to some certain object that's embedded three or four levels deep. Uh, so it's like authorization is hard, right? Like this is always, this is always going to be an issue and it's not one that's easily solved, um, especially when we have multiple different technologies in play. Um, Right. Like that was, I think I talked about that with the like percent, you know, the URL encoding in the path as well. When you're starting to line up these different te technologies, I can see this being very similar. Um, you did, but it, yeah. It is, yeah. It's very interesting to actually see the headers that are passed along, what's considered hop by hop versus a, um, what do they call the other one? Hop by hop, by hop versus endpoint. I don't know. I'll have to pull up the RFC specifically, right? Like, yep. End to end versus hop by hop headers, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then the ability, especially in the different HTTP protocols to define headers as either endpoint or hop by hop and have the proxy honor that. Right? That's, you know, and so I can see where the mistakes are actually going to happen because the, the definitions on that front end proxy may not line up again with the technology on the back end with the app itself and the configuration. If you're just taking whatever comes from your Docker pull or your, you know, your Docker instance or yeah, take your configuration file, you know, with a grain of salt is basically where I wanted to go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me see. I, you know, it, it, I just feel like it's, 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 this is, um, I like this article, I like the name, naming of it, but that the concept behind these mismatches, it, you know, it's, it's prevalent. It's, um, whether it's these specific headers and the way that, you know, the order of operations here, or if it's a, just a, uh, you know, different HTTP library parsing things, cause you have different tech stacks, right? Usually in a distributed services, you've got a difference in yeah languages and frameworks between some of the services they're not all you know it's rare that you walk in and everything's all the same especially in a especially in a distributed services kind of system so yep distributed i can't talk today but you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i do well I, I yeah i keep playing with this right like because x forwarded for is always an interesting one that's a nice abuse case right like yeah, 192 or 127, right? Like you'll be surprised what you can actually get to there. Um, RFC 1918 spaces, mm -hmm. um, fingerprinting, cache poisoning. Like he's talking about all the different things that they've done with this, mm -hmm. right? Some of them are theoretical, but they're they would work. 
Yeah, the WAF rule bypass, that's one that's always going to be fun, which should be. Yeah, I, I thought of you when when when, you, when <laughs> yeah. I saw that too, by the way. Yeah, those, uh, yeah. Anytime that you've got regular expressions, right, there's always the possibility to introduce something into that request that, uh, that bypasses the regular expression, right? That's, you know, that's a lot of regular expression abuse. So further yeah. research needed. Yeah, I, like part of me wants to go start playing with that, those connection and those different headers as they're in there, right? Um, yeah, it makes sense. Because yeah. it's he's right that they or they are right, whoever that is. Uh, that space is not one that's been regularly like included in research topics, right? There's like edges of this that I've touched on in in the past. Right. But it always seems like, you know, every time I read one of these articles, I'm like, ah, crap. Now I need to add another, you know, three or four things into my checklist of we need to check for this, right? But it's good, right? That's part of the research aspect that we have here. It's part of why we do this podcast. <laughs> exactly. But uh, it, it's it's interesting. I feel like, truthfully, I feel like if this was, um, if there was still a daily swig, we'd be seeing soon a James Kettle article on how to mass <laughs> detect these kinds of issues. Um yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So Anyways. cool. That's all I had, Seth. By the way, in terms of articles, so I don't know if you've got anything else uh, queued up that you wanted to chat about. Uh, not necessarily. Not today, because um, we. I mean, we are kind of hitting up against time. So um, I think I would rather. Yeah. Uh, let, let's. Uh, uh, yeah. If you haven't, if you have something that you want to talk about. Um, you've been listening today, please jump into Slack. I know we push it all the time, but that's because there is a good community that's in there. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on, especially during the week that we don't necessarily even address on the podcast, um, whether it's posting of a job or like posting that you're available, looking for work. There's a good network that's become available and a good community that's built up. Um, we really appreciate everyone that jumps in and contributes and speaks up and presents those articles to us as well. Um, it's great to see. Actually, so let me you... plug something too. You should, yeah. um, I'm glad you mentioned that because it made me think there's a lot of people being laid off right now. Um, uh, you know, in, in uh, you know, I'm security, you'll see it on GitHub, Microsoft, they've kind of done some layoffs, other companies are doing layoffs as well. I say that because if you are not doing layoffs and your company is doing well, this is a great time to start scooping up talent. Um, you know, if uh, their loss is my kind of take there, right? So um, anyways, uh, just, I don't know, uh, post on, on our jobs channel if you're looking for a role, uh, post on the jobs channel if you have an open role. Um, I'd say even start watching your Twitter feed because a lot of people are talking about, um, you know, if, if they were laid off, they, they'll post it there. Uh, but yeah. Um, just be mindful of that if you're not already, if you're hiring, especially if you're hiring manager. Yes. Um, I'm getting one response say that they got an error with the Slack link, but I know I have had people um, comment. Um, if you're having a problem with Slack, just uh, contact Ken or I um, or Seth at absoluteappsec.com and I'll, I'll send you an invite directly. Um, that's probably the easiest way to take care of it. I Sometimes have to it say works, for anybody. doesn't. I was going to say for everybody, like uh, we have these links, uh, we've set, we set these links up and like 99% of the time it's fine. And every once in a while it just stops working. Um, and it's not, and it's briefly, it's not like we have to rotate a link as, as far as I know anymore. It's just that Slack has some issue or something like that. So most of the time it's kind of wait a few minutes and you'll be all right. Um, or wait a day or whatever. But, uh, sometimes still let us know. Cause sometimes it, it has in the past a couple of times been something we had to actually fully rotate. So just let us know yeah. if it doesn't go away after a day or whatever. Yep. Um, I am posting another link into Slack chat. Um, actually it was port swigger. It was a bug bounty um, finding for burp suite. Um, that is fairly oh. interesting. Um, basically file inclusion attack through the um, copy as curl command, right? Like, so you copy a post as curl, um, but realize that there was one of those parameters that allows for inclusion of files. 
So I'm posting that in there. It's a, it was an interesting one, right? Like no one is immune to vulnerabilities and issues. And, you know, especially again, you're using multiple different forms of tech. Don't realize that, hey, there is a parameter that does some parsing by curl and it'll pull files from the local file system. If you attach an at sign to it of all things, um, it's since been fixed, but uh, go read that one as well. Uh, here, I'll throw it in just as a, as a final here too. Um, it's not part of daily swig, but it was some port swigger research that came out within the last few days. So, um, cool. Uh, yeah. Anyways, that'll do it for today. Again, this episode was sponsored by Redpoint Security, uh, code security by coders. And yeah, if you guys are, if anyone's looking for assessment code review by a third party, reach out to Redpoint info at redpointsecurity.com. Um, Ken, I think that's everything for today, uh, unless you have any final thoughts before we close it out. No, I was just looking at the data binary flag of the curl command that allows for uh, that uh, file inclusion. Sorry. So uh, you got yes. me, you got See, me, uh, yeah. you nerd sniped. I've got him. On I'm, one, so. Yeah, I know. I did. <laughs> at the end of the show. Um, there we go. Okay, cool. Well, I actually want to read more about that one. So cool. <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. I don't have anything else. Um, okay. Yeah. Just uh, happy. To, I can't wait for Colonel Con. It's two weeks away. Sorry for annoying people by tweeting a lot of trying. I'm trying not to retweet everything they post, but once in a while they post something every few days. It's cool. And I retweet it. So anyways, I'm very excited about Colonel Con. Uh, should be a really good time. Um, yep. Two weeks away. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. All right. We'll see everybody right. there. Catch everybody. Catch everybody soon. Thanks. See you. Yeah.